between episode 27, two metrics to measure the value of care delivered. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. This past March, I was looking forward to giving a keynote at the Arizona Technology Council. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. COVID happened. But in the process of figuring out what I was going to talk about during that keynote, I came up with an idea and I wanted to share it. It's the idea of how to measure value in healthcare delivery because might as well go big or go home, right? The metrics that we use to measure value is critical and not just because what gets measured gets managed. It's because American healthcare is the biggest, most impressive display of game theory anyone anywhere has ever seen. I am not easily impressed, and I have to say that I am unfailingly and frequently more than impressed by the cognitive prowess and sheer determination amongst some parties to game the system and reach as much profit as possible at the expense of patients and taxpayers. So coming up with the right metrics is paramount. The metrics have to be unimpeachable. They have to be immune to those who have every intention of twisting them against their spirit. Healthcare profiteering is really turbocharged by what I would call the halo effect. The halo effect of caring, healing, taking care of you, your family, all the stuff we see in the PR and marketing materials of everybody. I mean, everybody in healthcare. And I'm not saying, you know, there's not a component of genuineness to it because there is. That's why I went into medicine myself. But part of what's going on is that halo effect is really leveraged in a way that, you know, generates some of these outrageous behaviors. That was Vikas Sani, MD, who heads up the Lown Institute. There's some pretty egregious profiteering, which is what Dr. Sani was talking about in that clip. But there's also just in general, and, you know, read Dr. Robert Pearl's book, Mistreated, if you're interested. But just money motivates, and anybody who thinks they're above it should read the literature, because effectively it shows if there's money on the table, it's really hard to not take it. As we move more and more to a value-based system, then defining and putting metrics around value becomes all the more important. So let's wade in here. I want to talk about the first metric that I came up with and how I arrived at it. It all started the other day when a medical director I was talking to was telling me that he had been on the receiving end of a pitch from a company using AI to do diagnostics. And it was more complicated than this. But bottom line, the unique selling proposition, the USP of this tech, was that a doctor could see 50 patients a day using this tool. Basically, pedal to the throughput metal. You know, first of all, I started to wonder how many doctors would like to work in a world where they see 50 or 100 patients a day. And I also started to wonder in what world a patient would be thrilled by this opportunity. But it's certainly one way you can put tech or process advances to use. If the goal is to make physicians, technology cowboys trying to wrangle the highest RVUs from the system, then I guess this is what good looks like. But I would like to take another look at this because that whole scenario really started to make me think about this and kind of go back to the very beginning. And being in the middle of a COVID pandemic makes this all the more relevant. 
I looked up Dr. Francis Peabody, who some may know was an American physician born on November 24th, 1881. He was obviously a doctor. He was known for research and he was a celebrated teacher at Harvard Medical School. And one of his most famous quotes is this, the secret of the care of the patient is in caring for the patient. I love this because right here, right now is the kind of moment where we all need to learn to be more human. We can more powerfully use our presence and our human capacities at the bedside or with the patient because clearly when someone is critically ill, there's very much the need for that kind of human connection. There's a bunch of research by Alia Crum, PhD, that showed the impact of what Francis Peabody was was talking about there, the impact of caring for the patient on patient outcomes. And this is what Dr. Crum did. She injected a histamine into the arms of patients. The study wasn't about the histamine. The study was about how much the clinician cared. So they had clinicians go in and behave in one of two ways. With the first group of patients, the clinician showed caring, made a connection, asked about the patient, actually showed understanding and concern. Then that same clinician went into a different group of patients and was, you know, just the facts and I'm out of here. And the results clearly showed that the red mark, you know, the, the circumference of the histamine impact on the patient's arm was bigger in the group that, you know, the second group that I talked about, the just the facts group that actually the histamine had less effect on the patient that had a caring clinician. I mean, humanity matters in healthcare. Caring matters. Presence matters. And it matters not only for patients, but also obviously matters for physicians. It's hard for physicians to be sympathetic and caring when they aren't sympathetic and cared for. I'm sure there's all kinds of psychologic research on that as well. So the next thing I started thinking about is what does humanity and caring and presence look like, you know, metric wise? <laughs> what do we want to achieve beyond the elusive notion of being more present and being more human and having the opportunity for deeper connections? Somebody right now is going to bring up the quadruple aim. And I like the quadruple aim for sure. The quadruple aim being, let me just read this off in no particular order, better outcomes, number one. Number two, of our quad, improved clinician experience, number three, improved patient experience, and number four, lower costs. So those are the things that the quadruple aim suggests equal value. So as I said before, I think the quadruple aim is definitely a worthy goal, but there's two things that kind of concern me about it. Number one is that it seems a little distant and a little abstract. Like my first instinct is apply the KISS method to it, the keep it simple, stupid. So I started to think about how to do that. But second, the quadruple aim represents an end game of nouns. And sometimes I think if we're trying to change behavior, we should think about it less in terms of the final ultimate noun outcome and a little bit more in terms of the verbs which are going to get us there, offering some guidance around the verbs. I tend to do this in the form of questions that we ask ourselves as we are proceeding forward. So here's two questions to ask. How is what we are doing helpful to patients directly? How are we helping patients? How does this help patients? And the second piece is, how are we helping providers, clinicians, form a genuine human relationship with patients? How are we helping clinicians help patients? Let's explore this a little bit because this is a slow build to my first metric. Helping patients, let's take a look at that. That if we're thinking about doing something, we ask ourselves the question, is it helpful for patients? 
and I say this, it seems self-evident, but we all know there are a lot of companies out there in healthcare with missions to do all kinds of things that are not connected to improving patient care. And by the way, I don't mean, oh, there should not be any company doing anything that's operational. That's not what I'm talking about at all. There's plenty of good reasons why somebody isn't, you know, like on the front lines, so to speak. But you don't have to be the last mile to have a North Star. All right. So now let's talk about helping physicians help patients. I saw this word cloud that I had intended to put on a slide during my keynote presentation. But since you can't see it, it's this word cloud that showcased the adjectives that patients were using relative to their physicians. Let me read the ones that are jumping out at me that were big. Rude, hurried, rushed, busy, poor, unconcerned, arrogant, uninterested, late, impatient, condescending. Those are the big ones. Do I think if you asked any of those physicians or advanced practice clinicians, you know, like whoever was evaluated in that survey, whether they wanted to be described in this way, I'm sure that all of them would say no. And that's why the touchstone or the the checkbox that I'm suggesting here that I think we think about is helping physicians help patients. Because if, as ZDog MD says, you know, physicians are the highest paid clerks in the hospital, uh, you know, what do you expect is going to happen? Clerks aren't necessarily known for their ability to be empathetic, right? But these are the individuals who are really going to have an outsized potential impact on clinical outcomes. I don't know who these days would argue with me if I say that patient outcomes, patient satisfaction, it all goes down when doctors flee from medicines so there's a shortage of clinicians, or if doctors can't make good decisions with a system that rewards decisions that are not actually in a patient's best interests. Helping providers do the right thing, the thing they know is right, is critical. You know, helping them practice the medicine that they went to school to practice. The recognition of that has to include admitting that when canaries die in the coal mine, it's really not time to send out for tougher canaries. It's time to look for ways to make the environment better. You were just listening to Gary Price, MD, president of the Physicians Foundation. He was on a healthcare strategies podcast from Extelligent Media. I loved it because it just it emphasizes the fact that if physicians play an outsized impact on the outcomes that patients achieve, then we really need to protect and honor our physicians. It's the same idea as that really famous quote from Richard Branson. You know, you take care of your employees, your employees take care of your customers, you know, period. Let me transition here into a metric that I would ask you to consider. I'm going to kick this off with a, a statement that Dr. Danielle Ofri made on a podcast, which unfortunately I did not get permission to play. So, so sadly, you can't hear her saying this herself, which is unfortunate. But this is what she says. This whole thing starts out. She was describing a really bad day that she had in the hospital. And by the way, if you haven't heard of Dr. Danielle Ofri, go to her website, danielleofri.com. She's an author. She's written some great books and also a clinician. So she was describing a really bad day that she had. And, and she said, look, you know, I, I walked in this room to take care of of this patient, he had adrenal insufficiency. Someone had suspected, you know, at the same time I was trying to handle his diabetes and his rheumatoid arthritis. I just needed some time to think. And I just couldn't do it within the context of that moment. Part of it made me feel like a dolt you know, that I couldn't off the cuff remember which way ACTH diurnal variations would go. And in the end, I just referred to endocrinologist. But I really felt like I punted. I know an internist really should be able to work out the basics of adrenal insufficiency and RA. That's our job after all. But in 15 minutes, it is not possible to do it with any amount of thoughtfulness. And so many of our referrals and testing is because we don't have time to think. 
If I had half an hour to think, I probably could have gotten by without a lot of the testing and referrals I wound up doing. It really does feel like a petri dish for error. We really need time to think and to organize. This is supported by uh, by something I heard Dr. Eric Topol say again, couldn't get permission to play it, but he said this. He said, Dr. David Feinberg is a CEO, former CEO of Geisinger, and he told me about a program where doctors and patients were locked in an exam room for 40 minutes. They were not allowed to leave. And it was the most popular program ever initiated. The patients loved it. They had time to communicate. And the doctors thought it was extraordinary because it was like three times more time than it would have been. It's the gift of time. So here's the new metric I'm asking you to consider. Time. Time with patients. If you're a technology vendor, how can you use your technology to give patients more quality time with their doctors? If you're cooking up processes at the hospital or you're a payer or a purchaser or in government, what are you doing to get patients more time with their physicians? Just a disclaimer here before people start writing me emails. Obviously, when I say more time, I mean optimal time. <laughs> Too much of anything is never a good thing, right? The other thing that I would definitely include as a sub-bullet under here is when I say more time with patients, I'm probably talking about the clinical team as a whole, not necessarily just the physician. And I say this in response to things like loneliness, which is endemic in this country today. You don't want the physician to basically become the highest paid, Z-Dog MD calls physicians the highest paid clerks in the hospital. You don't want them to become the highest paid, you know, surrogate friends in the hospital either. And I say that with my heart in the right place. If, if what the patient really needs is time to speak with someone, then there are plenty of social workers, psychologists, you know, all kinds of individuals who are trained for that task, as opposed to inadvertently shoving a physician into that place. So when I'm talking about more time with patients or optimal time with patients, I'm in a way saying the right time with the right people. I know somebody is going to come up with the idea that in places with shortages of physicians, like in rural settings, then having one patient have a lot of time with a provider kind of means that another patient will have no time, thus a rationale for extreme throughput. So I'd turn that challenge back on to you, technology vendors. How are you going to deal with that? Or I'd turn the question back to you, process gurus. So there you go. The first metric that I would put out there as a contender to consider is optimized time with patients. All right, so let's move on to my metric number two, which can help patients and help providers help patients. There's one factor that is frequently overlooked. It's becoming more looked, but unfortunately, not as much as I'd like to see. And that's financial toxicity. I mean, financial toxicity is a thing. Patients are not getting care because they're afraid to go to the doctor and get surprise billed for, uh, in, rightfully so. Like there was just something in the paper the other day about a woman who got billed $31,000 because she got bitten by a cat. I mean, that's crazy. And it's not just limited to the uninsured or the underinsured. I have a podcast coming up with Doug Aldean and we're really going to dig into this and it's insane. Exacerbated by the fact that, I mean, what's the average insurance premium these days for a family of four? It's like 28 grand. We're spending so much insuring against the cost of healthcare that we can't pay for the cost of healthcare. You look at most Americans, they have less than $400 of cash in savings to their name. So when they get hit with a $6,000 bill or even a $4,000 bill, it can be catastrophic to that family. That was Marty McCary. He's the author of the book, The Price We Pay, and he was on the podcast a couple of months ago. 
There's a whole lot of reasons why costs are going up on healthcare in this country. We don't have time to get into them, but if you want some podcast recommendations, I've spent hours talking about this exact topic, the why behind why costs are going up. But the fact is that more and more of those costs are getting pushed onto the patient, either in the form of high insurance premiums or in the form of higher cost sharing. All right, now consider this. Healthcare is the only industry where technology tends to make things cost more, not less. So here's my second metric. How can we make the cost to patients go down? the cost to taxpayers, the cost to employers. How do we make those costs go down? You know, thinking about this from the lens of a technology player, you're going into a hospital and you're trying to sell something. How do you make the cost to the patient go down? Not the cost of the hospital per se, although that may be a cog in the wheel to a lower patient cost, but how do you make the cost to the actual patient go down? That I'd love to see as a metric. Is this an anti-consumerism message? No, it's not. This has nothing to do with, you know, third-party disintermediation of consumerism and it has nothing to do with all of the perverse complexities in the system. It has to do with how can we increase the cost effectiveness of what we're doing that ultimately that patient is paying for. Even within consumerism, you know, why should a patient pay $600 for something that should be able to be delivered for 20 So in sum, here's my two metrics I think that we should consider evaluating clinical solutions on. Number one, does it enable more time with patients, optimal time? And number two, does it make the cost to the patient decrease? So hopefully this will be inspirational, maybe food for thought, maybe a touchstone as you go about your day and contemplate your next moves or the why for your tech or care delivery or pharma or research or whatever it is you are doing. Would love your feedback. If you can think of a third or a fourth metric that could complement these two, round them out, if you will, please drop me a note. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.